if you've been tracking with us over the last uh, two weeks, this is the third week now, um, we've been really diving into what the best ways are for people to engage in, in, in the spiritual life of Renew. That's what we've been doing. And so I've entitled this teaching series DNA. Right? Who we are and what we do. This is, this is kind of what, um, this is what the, makes the synapses fire, right? This is, what, this is what's important for our church community if this is going to be a, a healthy body, right? A, 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 a vital being. Uh, it's important. And we need to think about these things as people who are part of the church and say, should, should I be doing this, right? Um, should I be participating in this? Uh, is, this what, is this what God is calling me to do? Um, should I just you know, be there every now and then, or do I engage in the life of the church? This is, this is about the DNA of the church. This is about the health of our church. And so what I've done is, um, I feel like I'm so far away from you, Debbie. I need to be like close to you so that I can pick on you this morning because Debbie's sitting in the front row because her mom's in the front row. And this is the great thing about having a parent who sets an example. Isn't it good? I'm just joking. Okay. I've, I've, I've deliberately started each talk by uh, reminding us about conversion, you know, what it is to be a convert, a Christian convert, right? So regardless of whether you grew up in the Christian faith, like if you grew up in a Christian home, or whether you discovered the Christian way of life later on in your life, every single one of us have to come to this place where we make a decision about it, where we make a decision about Jesus, and then hopefully work to make the depth and the riches of Christianity our own, right? That we engage in this process of, uh, we live a life of repentance, of turning towards God, and we, we engage in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit within us. So we work to make the depth and the riches of Christianity our own. And so we all come to a place of conversion, or not, right? Because God, in His love, has also given us free will. We, each one of us, has, we have the, the freedom of, cho- of choice. So the decision lies with us. Am I going to follow Jesus or not? Am I going to convert or not? And if you do convert, in the biblical sense, what conversion means is to turn. It's a turning, right? It, it, is, it is a spiritual turning away from sin in repentance to, to follow Jesus Christ in faith, Right? You repent of all of the stuff in your life that's not right, and you say, God, this stuff is in my life, and and it's not according to the way that you tell me I should live or or, um, carry uh, or what it means to follow you. So I want to get rid of this stuff in my life. And and, and often it doesn't come immediately, it's a process, right? So that's why it's a lifelong journey of repentance. And and it is a step of faith to follow Jesus. So it's, it's turning. From one path, turning away from one path in order to pursue an entirely new path. It involves turning your back on the system of this world. It involves turning your back on the anti-God values of this world. It involves turning your back on dead religion. It involves turning your back on self-righteousness, all of those things. Because it's, a, it's an about face, it's a pivot in order to follow the, the path that leads to life. Right? Eternal life, true life. Jesus said this in Matthew 18 and verse 3. Matthew tells us uh, that Jesus said, Unless you are converted and become like children, 
you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? So Jesus says, unless you come to this place of change, and you've got to do this with a childlike faith. You know, if you tell a little child, it is that way, that child's going to go, yes, it's that way, because they just believe it. They, it's a childlike faith. And so what we've got to do is take, have a childlike faith when it comes to the, the purposes of God and the things of God. And so Jesus says, unless you convert it and become like children, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's quite clear here that if a person is of this world, right? If a person is of the kingdom of this world, um, to be accepted into this other kingdom, to be accepted into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be converted. Some change is going to have to happen in your life and you're going to have to exercise faith. Childlike faith at that. All right. I think what we should do is pray. Just got that feeling on my heart. Let's just pray before we get into the depths of it this morning. Father, I just want to bring every person who's here in this room this morning. And my prayer, God, is that hearts would be open to you this morning. I just want to pray, God, that anything that would get in the way, that would obstruct what you want to do in the power of your spirit, Lord, that that would, that would be gone right now. That every distraction, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be focused on you, attuned to you, that we would not work in any way to allow disruption. Lord, I, I just pray this morning that even though we have a, a baby around the corner who's most welcome in this place this morning, Lord, I just don't want any of us to, to, to get distracted. So we just want to give this time to you because it's important for the sake of your church. And Lord, we know that we have an enemy who's going to do everything within his power to work against the purposes of of God in the body of Christ. So we just give this time to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, conversion is necessary. To convert is absolutely necessary. The whole purpose of conversion is to bring men and women into right relationship with God. That's the purpose of conversion. Because God's purpose for our lives is to set things right. That's what God wants to do in each one of our lives, is to set those things that are wrong, to set them right. So it's to come into communion with God. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he gave his life for us. And he rose again to demonstrate that that's where true life lies. So conversion involves changing direction. A true spiritual conversion is going to alter the direction of your life. It's not, a, it's not a partial change, like where some people think conversion is, it's okay for me to straddle the fence and have a foot in both kingdoms, right? Have a, have a, foot, have a foot in two worlds. It's, an, it's not a superficial thing either, like a rearranging of the outward appearance of your life. It's not. It's a, it's a decisive break with the old patterns of sin and the way of this world and, and the way of the culture in which we live and embracing a new life in Christ by faith. You know, I was reading this morning, and it just struck me as quite interesting, so I'm just going to read it to you um, on one of the Christian websites that I, I get articles from. They were talking about this uh, couple or this family that got th had acid thrown at them on the 31st of January in Clapham in, in London. don't know if you saw it on the news. Um, and so these, some of the people in this family have had life-altering injuries, life-altering injuries. And the individual who threw this acid on the family was an Afghani, Afghanist, a refugee from Afghanistan. Um, and he had been given permanent residency in the United Kingdom. 
But the authorities didn't do enough of an investigation into this character. He'd, he'd, he'd sexually assaulted women. He'd been in a whole lot of things. And uh, he wanted to stay in the UK, but they didn't know what kind of person he was. But here's what he did. Here's what he said. This is how he stayed in the UK. He said he'd converted to Christianity. And that if he went back to Afghanistan, he would be, um, um, he would be what's the word for his faith? He would be persecuted because of his faith. That's right, thank you. So he, he comes to the authorities and he says he's converted. And that there was another person in this article who, uh, I think it was in Liverpool somewhere, who, I uh, can't get it up here now, but this person also um, came from Iraq to the United Kingdom and um, got landed up in some bombing or something that happened in, in Liverpool. And this person also had the right to stay in the UK because they said they had converted to Christianity. They'd converted. And so the authorities said, yeah, well, you've converted. You're of the Christian faith now. So it's, this, this is good. And sometimes, you know, we have this attitude towards conversion like, you know, oh, well, I've converted. But we've got to really understand what it means to convert, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and, and we can also begin to see as Christians in the household of faith who has converted. Because Jesus said you're going to know them by, their, by the fruits of, in their life. So there's going to be some things that begin to appear in a person's life where you're, going to go, where you're going to go, there's something about you that is different. And I can understand that you are someone who professes to be a Christian because you, you live that way. So if you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, I can see that conversion has taken place in your life. Because there's fruit, right? And so conversion is important. Now, when we convert and we embrace a new way of life in Christ, then that means that there's some things that we're going to be doing in our life. If we're, going to, if we're going to take a hold of the Christian way of life, if we're going to take a hold of the depth and the riches of what God has called us to, then, then some things have to change in our life, right? You can say yes or right or if you want to get all Pentecostal, amen or something like that, right? So we, um, there's some things that have got to change in our life. And so what we need are accessible, concrete, non-legalistic, tangible practices that, have got to, that we've got to bring into our life, things that we do in order to live this way of life. We need a way in which to experience the depth and the riches of Christianity. So this is why I'm talking about this, because at Renew, there are some things that we do, and that's why I've called this series our DNA. It's part of our DNA. This is how we want to be wired as a church. And we do this because this is what the Christian church does. So if you're a convert here at, at Renew, right? If you're a Christian convert, there are three things that we, that we aim to do well here at, at Renew. There, there are things that we want to teach. There are things that we want to learn. So the first one of these is that we want to learn to love God well. We want to learn to know who He is. We want to learn about Him so that we can experience His blessing in our life. We want to know how His promises apply to us. We want to learn to know God. We want to learn to love God. And not just love Him, but love Him well. The second thing that we want to do here is, is, is to love other people well. We want ourselves well, excuse me. We want to be the kind of community that learns to love who God has made me to be. To have a healthy appreciation for who I am in the eyes of God. To learn what it means to be made in the image of God. 
the fact that I have likeness ability. I can be like him when God says, be holy like I'm holy. I have that likeness ability so I can be holy. If God calls me to be holy, I can live in a, in a holy way. So I, I've, got to, I've got to have a healthy appreciation of who I am, my worth, the dignity that I have, how God sees me. Because if I never have that, if I don't know my, who, who I am or who my, what my identity is in Christ, how on earth am I really going to love other people well? How am I really going to love them well and value them and give them worth and dignity? I won't be able to because I don't, I don't, even, I don't have that assurance within my own heart. So here at Renew, we, we've just said these are, these are the three spiritual distinctives of our church. To love God well, to love ourselves well, and to love others well. And we've got to be careful there with loving ourselves well. This is not about a puffed up ego thing. This is a, about a genuine, authentic understanding of who God has made me to be. Because then I can, I can function out of that. And I can bring change. I can be a change maker in the life that I have. And then what we have at Renew is, is what we call a rule of life, right? We have this rule of life. Um, and you can find it in this pamphlet from the information desk. It's in there. This rule of life is also on our website. And there's a bookmark also there, which you can pick up and take, which has our rule of life on it. And the reason why we have a rule of life is so that individually, if we don't know how to do it, there's a plan. There's a plan for how to grow spiritually, for how to grow in my walk with God, right? It's just a, it's just a, a couple of things that I, that I can begin to do every day and every week and throughout the year establish that rhythm in my life. And before I know it, I'll have drawn closer to God. So just for individuals, it's a way of drawing closer to God. So we have these three spiritual formation distinctives and we have a rule of life. But now, because we are in a loving community here at Renew, is that right? I didn't hear a single amen. We are in a loving community. Amen. Okay, we are in a loving community. Because we are in a loving community here, there are also some practical things that we encourage everyone to do. We encourage everyone to do these things because this is what the Christian church does. This is what a life that is going through this conversion process begins to do. Practical things. So I'm going to quickly read through them again. It's also on this little brochure which you can pick up from the information desk. I told you two weeks ago I'm going to sound like a bit of a broken record. Well, here we go again. We ask everyone who comes to Renew to do four things. The first is to, I've got the wrong page here, is to join us on Sundays. Join us on Sundays. Why? Why join, why, why join the church on Sundays? Because that's when the church gathers for worship. That becomes a priority in our lives. We say, I'm setting aside that time to be with the people of God for the purpose of worship. And that, for, that should be a priority for us. I know that the beach is attractive. I know that in hot weather like this, your air-conditioned home is attractive. And so it takes effort to get out into a space to worship the Lord. But you're doing the right thing. Because when we come together in worship, God pours out His blessing. There's a way of connecting with Him. It's vitally important. So we say join us on Sundays. The second thing is we ask people to join a small group. Why do we ask folk to join a small group? Because like I said last week, this is about friendship and care. We're not really ever going to know one another that well. I don't know all of you really, really well. But I, I, I'm in, in a small group with some people. It went on for hours on Friday night. And um, 
It, it was great. It was, and, 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 and the more we sit down and spend time together, the more we love one another, the more we know each other's lives. If somebody gets sick, I guarantee you they'll be on the phone. Hey, do you, can you, do you need help? Can we bring you a meal? You know, can we you know, take your dog for a walk? Whatever it might be. Because the, being in a small group is about genuine friendship and care. Now, I know that many of us have friendship groups, right? That we all have friendship groups. That's great. But in most friendship groups, you don't always take time to stop and talk about spiritual things and pray together. That's what happens in a small group. You spend some time talking about the things of God. You just heard Bronwyn get up here and tell us about what happened uh, at her small group on Wednesday. And she said that was like God speaking her, to her to say, you can do this on Sunday morning. Get up and encourage the people, Right? So that's in that group. There's some spiritual stuff happening. And there's prayer happening in a group. And prayer changes what? Everything. Prayer changes things. So if we, we've got it, there's an important aspect there of being in community with one another. So we say to people, join us on Sundays. We say, join us, join a small group in the church. And if you, if you, if you can't find a small group, start one. If you know a couple of people around you, just get them. Invite them. That's what I said. Invite them. Say, hey, do you want to come and join me? We're going to meet you know, once a month or every two weeks, and we're just going to get together and share our lives. It's not that hard. Really and truly, it's not that hard. And remember, we're talking here about a convert. We're talking about somebody who says, I've genuinely converted. I'm following Jesus. And so if I'm going to follow Jesus, there's some practical things that I've got to do in my life. Yeah? Being a Christian is not just coming to church on Sundays. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You can, you can never come back here again. You can go and write something bad about me on Facebook. That pastor. And I, I'm just going to speak the truth. I'm just going to speak the truth here this morning. We've got to be. If, we, if we're going to bring change to this world, we've got to be serious about our walk with God. And the third thing here is to find somewhere to serve, which is what I'm going to talk about this morning. Finding a place for you, where you say, God, I'm just going to give beyond myself. For your purposes. And then, of course, next week, where I guess we might not have as many people less than this, because next week is about giving money. Something we don't do in this church is uh, do a shakedown uh, every Sunday. And I know in some churches that's the way it kind of goes. At least that's what it feels to me. Um, we don't do that. We don't take up an offering. And, uh, but what we do believe in is the teaching of the Word of God, which says that we need to honor God in that area of our life. And because it's such a difficult thing for so many people, God actually says, you know, you can test me in this. This is an area you can test me in. And the reason why we give is not to become rich. The reason why we give is not so that we can win the lottery. The reason why we give is not for God to make me a millionaire. No, the reason why we give is because we understand that God has given us that provision in the first place. And what we say is, I'm going to take a portion of the, of the provision that God has given to me to give to His purposes through the church. And I'm part of a church community, and I want to see that community thrive. And so I'm going to take a portion of what God's blessed me with so I can be a blessing to the purposes of God through the church. That's why we give. I'll talk a bit, about more, a bit more about that Sunday. Okay, are you ready to get into it? Are you happy you came to church this morning? Did not sound convincing. So last week I spoke about our friendship and care, and uh, it's why we ask you to join a small group. Today I'm going to talk about our serving. And this, this is all about finding somewhere to serve. And I'm going to try and do this in a lovely way, in a friendly way. And I'm, again, I don't want to be legalistic about this because it's the Spirit of God that's going to work in every heart. 
But I need to get this out there because for anybody who's converted to be a follower of Jesus, then there's some practical things that begin to happen in our lives. When I, when I started preparing this talk, I thought, Lord, I don't know how to do this. How do, I, how do you, I was just like, how do you get people to serve? How do you get a church to serve? Not, not just to volunteer, but to truly serve. How do you get people to set aside time and selflessly give of themselves, give of their lives to other people? Serve other people. Now, I know that there's a, there's a high level of competency and commitment and joy that goes on in the serving in our church. I know that, and I am so grateful for that. Coming out here this morning on a hot day like today and seeing people bringing stuff from the other building and helping us get set up, I'm, I'm like, thank you, Lord Jesus. It's a blessing to see people give themselves in that way. But here's the thing. There's still quite a few folk in our, quite a bunch of folk, quite a lot of folk who have not found a place to serve. And so, you know, I want to talk a bit about this. I, I don't know if you've ever really thought about this, but when Jesus began inviting Peter and James and John and other people to help him spread the good news of the kingdom, Jesus was making a very strategic decision in doing that. And that decision was that the kingdom of God was either going to advance or recede primarily on the basis of the effectiveness of a serving organization. Right? That's how Jesus chose to advance the kingdom of God. He didn't go to Peter and James and John and say, well, how much do I need to pay you to do this? He just called them and said, here's what we've, we've got to do. And, and, and what we see in the scripture is the same thing happening in the early church. If you read through Acts the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 especially, and other passages, you realize that from the start, the church was destined to be a serving intensive organization. A community of mostly unpaid workers and servants. People who would help. People who would comfort. People who would cooperate. People who would share with others because... Serving is, is, is action-oriented for the benefit and support of other people. So when you serve, it's not about, it's not about how you can, you know, if, if it's going to fit with you or how you, know, uh, uh, you can benefit. When you serve, it's not about you. When you serve, it means that you're doing so something primarily for the benefit and the goodwill of other people or for a group of people. Serving means that you make space for those people. Serving means that you see them as those people as being valuable, that those people are worthy to be served. And you see them that way simply because God views them that way. Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4. He, write, he wrote, um, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Let's just backtrack here. Christ gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. That's a gift that I've been given. An angel of the Lord never appeared to me one night and said, Andrew, lo and behold, there is a very important job for you to do. You shall be. A pastor to the people. 
Never happened. What happened was something inside began to, began to press in. And, and, and that, I believe, became a calling. Like, I really believe that God has called me to this. And I believe that that's the way the Spirit of God works. And so God has called me to be a pastor, amongst others, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. And God's called me to do what? To equip, the Scripture says here, to equip who? The people. To equip the people. For what? Sorry, I'm just, um, just not hearing. I need to turn my hearing aid up. For? Works of service. For works of service. So that the body of Christ, and Paul, the body of Christ is the church. So that the church can be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if we're ever going to become like Him, if we're ever going to attain to the full measure, uh, the fullness of who Jesus is, then what we've got to do is we've got to say, Lord, if you've called me to service, what do I need to be doing? What do I need to be doing? Do I need to switch off when the pastor starts speaking about this? What do I need to be doing? Or do I need to engage and say, God, speak to me. Speak to me by the power of your spirit. Because Paul instructs pastors and teachers like me and other people to mobilize everyone in the church. That's what Paul's saying over here. He's saying train people in the church, equip them, envision them, lead them into a life of servanthood within the church. And this idea of people serving is seen throughout the New Testament. We see this in the church, and it's, so, it's what you and I should be doing. It's what the Scriptures tell, tell us is a normal thing. This is a normal thing for Christians to do. Giving our lives in service, serving Jesus and His people in the church. So I just want to ask you again, how do you do this? Does anybody know? How do you get, how do you get folk to serve? How do you get a church to serve? Well, I think it, it rests in that equipping idea. And so it's going to involve teaching, isn't it? It's going to involve teaching. You want to know why it is that you should serve, right? Well, I need to do some teaching. I've got to teach you first probably a doctrine that's called the priesthood of all believers. The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Right? This is a good doctrine to know, and so I'm just going to tell you about it very briefly. When you read through the Old Testament, what you find in the Old Testament, in the activity of the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit works with individuals. The Holy Spirit works mainly with a group of people called the priests. So if normal God-fearing people were going to get anything done in ministry, like if people wanted to say prayers or if they wanted to bring an offering or if they wanted to confess their sins, they wouldn't do it directly to God. You needed to go through a priest. The priest would act on behalf of the people. The priest would place the sins on the scapegoat and release the scapegoat into the wilderness. The the priest would carry out the function of sacrificing the animals on behalf of the people. So the Holy Spirit worked through the priests. But then we get to the New Covenant, we get to the New Testament, and there's this groundbreaking, revolutionary new doctrine that starts on the day of Pentecost. And it's called the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And so on the day of Pentecost, if you remember, the people had gathered in that upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God poured out His Spirit. The people in that room said there was like a sound like a rushing of wind. The people who were seated and standing in that room saw tongues of fire like flames begin to appear above the heads of all the people in that room. And it wasn't just a few, it was everyone. 
Not a select few, everyone. And so the Holy Spirit was given in full measure to the church. And when you read on, you find that it didn't stop in the upper room. That flowed into the lives of everyone who believed. Everyone who converted. And the disciples who became the apostles began to teach the people about what this meant. That essentially, every member of the family of God, every member of the church is now equipped. You are equipped because of the Holy Spirit to be a minister. You are equipped to be a minister, to serve, to make a contribution to the church. Whether it's by teaching, or helping, or singing, or praying, or giving, or counseling, or shepherding, or showing hospitality, or encouraging, or in a myriad of different ways. So every member of a church has to realize that there's no excuse not to step into ministry because we've been equipped. You have all that you need to be a difference maker. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God and the whole of heaven cheering you on. I think another thing that I'd have to teach if I want to see people serving in our church um, is the doctrine of servanthood. The doctrine of servanthood. You know, when you read in the, in the New Testament, you find the Apostle Paul most of the time when you read his letters. Have you ever read how he starts his letters, how he describes himself? What does he describe himself as? A servant, right? He, he, descri- he, he, he basically says, my fundamental, my fundamental identity is that of a servant. He says, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Lots of times he says, I, uh, Paul, a bondservant of, of Christ. Paul says, if you want to know who I am, if you want to understand who I am, if you want to understand what my fundamental identity is as a human being on this planet, he says, you've got to know that I am a servant of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I'm a servant of Christ. And, and really, that is the fundamental identity of every single follower of Jesus. We step into a place of serving. At least it should be. The day you received amazing grace, the day you became aware of the fact that Jesus gave his life on the cross for you, that salvation has come to you as a gift, and you accepted that gift by faith, and you began to say, God, I want you to work in my life. I want you to change the gunk and the junk and the mess, and I want a life giving, wholesome way of, of life to live. The day you made that decision and accepted that, that, that's really, it's from that day that we should be saying, God, what can I do for you? For all you've done for me, for all you've poured out for me, for all of your blessings, what can I do for you? Now, like I said earlier, you know, conversion means that we break with the old patterns of sin. Conversion means that we break with the patterns of the way of this world, the ways of the culture that we live in, right? That's what conversion means. We break with that. We begin to say, I don't want to be around that kind of conversation anymore. I don't want to be watching that kind of stuff anymore because it's feeding me and it's not of God. I don't want to be listening to that anymore. I, don't want, to, I want to begin to put wholeness inside. I want to put goodness inside. And so I'm going to begin to change as I read the scriptures and as I fellowship with other people. Because that's what conversion means. We break from those things. But you know what's happened in the church in recent times? 
this crazy thing has crept into Christianity all around the world. Consumerism. Here's how it works. You see, a lot of Christians out there today go what might be termed church shopping. Right? They go church shopping. And church shopping is not a bad thing. If you want to find a community, that's a good thing. Because God wants you to be part of a church community. So church shopping is not a bad thing. It's a good thing if you're saying, Lord, where, where should I be? Where should I commit to? Where should I become a part of? What community? Church shopping is not a bad thing. As long as you have the right heart posture. As long as this is right. As long as you're servant-hearted. Because what's happening is a lot of people are trying to do the right thing. I want to find a church. So they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to find that church. They're going to visit churches. But the posture of their heart is not right. So what happens is they begin to start attending churches to find out who's got the best. Who's got the best youth program? Who's got the best music program? Who's got the best this or the best that? And so they come into the church and they sit down and they cross their arms and they go, fill me, feed me, love me, equip me, you know, bless me. Me. And so they see themselves fundamentally as consumers, which is completely backwards. We are supposed to be committed to a church family so that we can be a community of servants. So aware of the grace of God that has come our way that we cannot see ourselves in any other light than in the light that Jesus, Jesus showed when he put out his arm and he put a serving towel over his arm and he picked up a bucket of water and began to wash the feet of his disciples. Where Jesus said, do this. Be this way. That's the reality of it. And this is the duty of every believer. And that's why we ask you to serve in this church. That's why we say to you, step out of the shadows. Help build into the life of this spiritual community. Because if this is the place where God has planted you, if this is the place where you've come and you've said, I believe God's called me here, then the only way that this church is going to go forward, the only church that this church, the way that this church is going to thrive is if we put that serving towel over our arm and say, what can I do? How can I play a role? God's placed me here. God's called me to do something through this church. Why? So that I can benefit as I worship God and engage with God. And beyond that, I can bring the light of God to a broken and hurting and lost world. And our church will never get to that place if we don't come with the right heart posture. If we don't come with the right heart attitude. And you see, ultimately... And here's the thing that I don't think we always appreciate is that God will hold us accountable for our good works. We have been forgiven of our sin, but we've been called and created for good works. And that's the accountability factor before God one day. How did you do with what I gave you? You know, a very uncomfortable verse in the New Testament that I've got to kind of live with every day is this one from Hebrews. Hebrews 13 verse 17. It's quite an uncomfortable verse. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with sighing, for that would be harmful for you. What a, what a, what a challenging verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. It says that leaders of local churches are one day going to stand and give an account to God for how they led their church. I've got to stand before God someday and I'm going to have to give an answer to the question. Did I do everything in my power to help everyone at Renew? To teach them? To equip them? But you know, here's the other side of that. And that is that every single member of this church community and every other church community is going to stand accountable before God. All of us, all of us individually are going to have to respond pretty much to the statement to whom much is given, much is required. God has gifted you. He's 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 given you competencies. He's enabled you. You are His creation. You are beautiful in His sight. He's got eternity planned for you. Good things in store for you that you actually cannot even begin to comprehend. God has got so much in store for you. And right now, God's saying, the vehicle on this earth that I want to use is the church. It's the body of Christ. Every one of us has been given a phenomenal thing called a spiritual gift, a divine capability. God's hardwired that into you. It's part of your DNA. And he wants you to use your gifts. He wants you to use your talents, not just for your family, not just for you and your career. No, God wants to use what he's enabled you with for the common good, for his people, for the glory of God. So every one of us is needed. I just got to tell you that this morning. You are needed in big ways and in small ways here at Renew. I know that every one of us has lives. I appreciate that. I really do. I don't think I'm not in some little tower and I'm not oblivious to the lives everybody has. Everybody has commitments and schedules. And, and I don't want anybody being overburdened by ministry demands, which is why we say serve in one area and one area alone. Don't serve in a whole bunch of areas because you have a life. I know you have a life. Who has a life? Some of you are not sure, but you're, I know. You've got jobs. You've got spouses. You've got kids. You've got bills to pay. You've got planes to catch. You've got lawns to mow. All those kinds of things. You've got a life, right? And I know that time is a precious commodity. So you've got to know that when you step out of the shadows and you decide, no, I'm going to find a place to serve. You know, when you've worked hard all week and you've got to get up early on a hot day like today and come and move to another building to serve the church, you know, you've missed your breakfast to be here. You know, when you've come and you're welcoming people or you're teaching children or you're playing in the band or you're making tea or coffee, whatever it might be, you've got to know that what you're doing is a good thing. It is a good thing. We would be in big trouble if no one was doing this. Big trouble. You are needed. You are necessary, you are needed, and you are valued. You are valued. And for those of you who don't serve, you know, you, you just need to know that the way we work it here is that if, um, if you want to find a place to serve, have a go. Give it a go. Have a first serve, you know. Go and try out an area, and if you say, well, this could work for me, then that's great. Then maybe you commit to that area. But if you go, oh, this is not for me, well, then, you know, we're not going to hold you to that. Find another area, but just begin to do something. You've got to start somewhere. It's the same with small groups. You've got to start somewhere, you know. And, and what we have here is just to build a bit of practical teaching into this around faithfulness is we say to folk, once you've decided to serve, then 
Just, just do it for a year. Be faithful in that serving for the year. It's not forever. We're not asking you to sign a blood contract. We know that things happen in life. So just every year, right, if you commit to serve, what it does is it brings stability to the life of the church. And it allows us to grow in faithfulness as we commit to do that which we've committed to do. And, and I, I pray that we'll get better at this in the days to come. I want to say one last thing before I quickly run through these serving areas. You really do need to know that if you volunteer to serve in our church, you really need to understand that what you're doing matters. It really matters. What you do to invest in the kingdom of God and the purposes of God through the church is going to reach into eternity. It's going to go with you. It's going to reach into eternity. It has an eternal impact. And I know, you know, sometimes you've got to get up early on a Sunday morning. Sometimes your small group goes way later than you expected it to go. Sometimes, you know, you've got to attend a church meeting and it cuts into your family time or your recreation time. Sometimes you come and you serve in a church and somebody's rude to you and all you're trying to do is help. It happens in church. You're serving and some person comes along and they're just blatantly rude to you. Or maybe you're serving and some kid's vomited all over the back somewhere and you're thinking, why am I serving today? Because I've got to clean it up. Anybody who takes God seriously, anybody who loves the church, anybody who cares for people and wants to see them grow in Christ, anybody who gives themselves in full devotion to the cause of God in this world, you know that things can go wrong in ministry. You know that things can go wrong when you serve and it can be hard at times. To serve in some areas of our church, like our worship area or our children's area or our small groups, that, that takes a higher, it's a higher capacity of serving. It takes time. It takes commitment. And you've got to juggle that because you've got work pressures. You've got family pressures. And then you're carrying the load for the church. And so I know sometimes you're thinking, why am I doing this? I must be crazy. It's too much. I, this, <gasps> why am I doing it? Right? But listen, here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. It's never in vain. It's never in vain if it's for the Lord. Jesus said to his followers in Matthew chapter 6, he said, the Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. What's he saying? He's saying, people might not see your sacrifice, but God does. God sees it and he's saying, you're not crazy. You're not crazy for doing this. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, he said, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. What was Jesus telling his, his, his followers here? And his followers in that first century weren't just tired occasionally, just, didn't just have too many things to, to, to attend. These were people whose lives were on the line. These were people who bled and died for the cause. What was Jesus saying to them when they were being fed to the lions? Or when family members were being killed for their beliefs, what was Jesus saying? He was saying, you're not crazy. You're not crazy if you follow me with all your heart. You're not crazy if you commit to serve. 
Folk, we only have one window of time between today and the last day. One window of time. To be faithful to God, to be fully devoted to His purposes here on earth. That's all any of us have. From here to our last day. And I just want to say to you, you're not crazy if you redeem the time. You're not crazy. <laughs> you're not crazy if you say, God, I want to be faithful to the end. You're not crazy. For those of you who serve in our children's ministry, you never know what life you might touch. You just don't know if a life that you are feeding into now might one day be a critical player in world redemption. You don't know. Look at Billy Graham. That's what happened with him. You are not crazy for serving. For those of you who serve on a welcome team or in a hospitality team, the first impression that you give to a visitor might be the difference between that person coming back and continuing to walk with God or walking away into the blackness of a Christless eternity because they say, I don't want to be, I don't want to have anything to do with those Christians. You're not crazy. For those who serve in our music and our sound teams, you know, that, that song or that hymn or that moment where you've prepared and, and you're saying, God, I want you to work in our ministry today. It might mark someone's heart forever. You're not crazy. So I want, to I want you to hear it from me this morning. You're not crazy if you serve. You'll thank God ultimately for what you've been doing. You, you'll, be, you'll be grateful as a follower of Jesus that you gave your best to His purposes.